we we figured it out with the men and that was relatively simple because we had a book but we're kind of worried about whether or not we we're going to be able to figure this one out because basically we just have <coughs> our own experience what do women really want we're going to figure it out tonight. And if you say sovereignty, you've just been reading Chaucer and that's the wife of Bass Tale, And maybe she's wrong. Welcome to the Mosaic Arc. So what do you want? Can I ask you what women really want? Are you an actually reliable witness here? Are you a woman? I, <laughs> I don't know. I think we we had some doubt about that in in early days of our of our streaming together. Have we have we figured it out yet? <laughs> yeah, we did. Well, I don't know. Am I, am I sufficiently transitioned to, to be able to answer this question yet? I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Uh, I think I have some ideas. I don't know if I'm, if I'm going to uh, fairly represent the rest of the sex. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe. Yeah. I've got a book. We've got, I've got a book. You, you think it, so, so if we, it maybe, maybe, I mean, we had the, we had, the men's book with the poetry, right? Maybe if we have a book by a woman about what mm -hmm. women want, we'll be better off. Yes. Okay. Here, I, let me, let me. Relying, re relying on a book is always a good idea. Relying on a book is always a good idea. I think this women want, I want more books, right? Always. Mm -hmm. Let me, let me think what else do I want? More books. More bookcases. <laughs> I got some more bookcases delivered last week, but I have to rearrange my entire study to get them in there. So I want time to rearrange my bookcases so that I can put my books in a place where I can find them instead of all over the floor and in stacks and shelved in ways. So that's what I want, a library. <laughs> mm -hmm. Do you remember? So this is, this was, I, I haven't seen the the live action Beauty and the Beast, but the um, cartoon one came out when I yes. was in grad school, and I was with my then not yet husband, and we went to see Beauty and the Beast in the theater. And the moment when Belle is shown the the library, yeah, that did it for me. <laughs> yeah. You would have been set. <laughs> Beast with bookcases. There you go. That's what we want. 
<laughs> um, well, I've thought about this a little bit because it's difficult now to figure it out uh, when you're bombarded with different versions of what is a what's an appropriate vision for life as a woman now you mm. know we get uh part of my my gender vetting and playing around with that is really just the magnification of the experience of being a woman in a culture where you're essentially turned into a pseudo man in order to function inside it yeah so i amp it up <laughs> or i did <laughs> quite successfully and yeah um and then thinking about how things should be in the other way when we're not transformed into pseudo men and what that would mean for how we want to be treated as women and also what kind of lives we would prefer to have instead of a, an industrialized pseudo-masculinity. Yeah. Okay, you've already so, been thinking about this really hard and you're like an hour and a half into where we're going. Oh, sorry, I skipped ahead. <laughs> <laughs> Girls and boys, we need to catch up with her. She's usually like five steps ahead of me. Um, yes, exactly, right? The, 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 it's like, let me think of my back back up. Uh, why don't, why don't we know what we want? Right. It, it should be. It, <laughs> right. And so when, when I posted tonight's like the ad for tonight's discussion, you know, I got a lot of answers instantaneously. One of them was instantaneously, of course, women want sovereignty, which if you've ever read mm, Chaucer in mm, high school and you read The Wife of Bath's Tale, you know that that's the answer to the puzzle. Good job. You did your homework. <laughs> but that's that's Chaucer's answer in the wife of Bath's voice. So maybe that's just a man saying what women want. Can you explain that? Because we never read Chaucer in high school. Oh, okay. So this I do remember this, right? Just because break it down for the colonials. Okay, for really the colonials. Like... So the can <laughs> the Canterbury Tales are interesting because they are afraid. There's the, the 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 main narrative itself is the frame narrative with Chaucer as one of the characters in the in the tale right so he does the sort of tolkien god thing of putting himself in the story <laughs> um so mm -hmm. he's in he's he's with these company of pilgrims and the pil it's the pilgrims all agree to tell a certain number of stories i think chaucer never finished the full cycle of what he projected he was going to do he wanted to be boccaccio um with the decameron and i boccaccio did actually pull this off that he was mm -hmm. going to have 10 characters tell 10 stories for 10 days right and and so you get a hundred mm -hmm. stories. Chaucer was going to have, I forget off the top of my head, however many pilgrims and they were going to tell how many cycles of stories. And he didn't end up giving all of the characters stories and he didn't give them as many stories as he projected he would. But in any case, it's, it's sort of a challenge to say whether or not all of the characters are meant to be speaking in Chaucer's own voice or not. He's a better storyteller than that. So for example, the partner in the summer summoner who, the movie version of Chaucer is going to eviscerate in fiction are made to be pretty mm -hmm. loathsome characters. And again, I don't remember what their stories are because no, who reads them, but everybody reads the wife of Bath tale because she has this long prologue about how she's had five husbands. I'm remembering this from high school. I haven't reread it since 
well, I actually did reread it more recently, but you, you remember from high school, she's had five husbands. And then, you know, she narr she goes on a lot about herself to start with as maybe women do. Um, and, and, <laughs> and then goes into her story, which is a story of, uh, I've, um, one of my friends answered this it's sir Gawain and, and this woman and she sends him off on a quest to redeem himself from having raped her i think no i'm forgetting anyway it's, it, this is what's interesting about everybody remembers the punchline and not the setup that he goes off on a quest mm -hmm. to find out what it is that women really want and in the course of it gets tricked into having to have sex with this old woman who transforms herself into a young beautiful young woman and she's going to give him the answer and the answer is what women want is sovereignty which if you read this in high school means nothing because you don't know what the word means mm -hmm. <laughs> Yes. So, so it's, it's, this is, this is what's complicated about it. That, that answer is embedded in Chaucer's frame narrative, which is embedded in the wife of Bath's telling the story. And the <clears> question <throat> is, of course, is the wife of Bath meant, meant to be a reliable narrator or not of her own story? Mm -hmm. And then the, you know, the claim being, you know, she's had these five husbands, all of whom she's outlived, right? So she's, she's a widower, a widowy widow multiple times um and mm -hmm. the the you know the the sense is that she's this horrible old woman who's had all these men and she tells her story about how what what women really want is to rule over men mm. well that that is the um that's the complaint on the interwebs right now isn't it guess what guys you're you've achieved the 14th century <laughs> <laughs> we will now mock you <laughs> yes um, no chaucer had figured it out back back in the day right mm -hmm. learn to scan i am a pentameter chaucer already figured it out that 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 you know and again what's funny about this i hadn't thought of this as a setup for us but what's funny about it is therefore within the western tradition in english for centuries now We've had this understanding that, at least from the men's perspective, and perhaps accurately from the women's perspective, what the women really want is control. Well, that's just the meme. <clears throat> Which can work in two ways. It's like uh, art imitates life, life imitates art. Things become self-perpetuating stereotypes after a while. Uh, I mean, I can think of it in two different ways. Yes, that's absolutely true, because there are plenty of examples in it. And then I can think of a million other examples of why that is not at all what women want. Um, just thinking about the, the the women that are named in the scriptures as the primary archetypes of, of, of women. Uh, yeah, so no, it's not... It's not sovereignty across the board, not at all. Well, it, I mean, Eve does to a sort of extent, right? And this is the the fallen relationship that the mm -hmm. the serpent persuades Eve to want, you know, the knowledge of good and evil and to be like gods. And then, excuse me, Eve persuades Adam to want that, or at least to want her. Or not to want to lose her. I mean, it's interesting how Milton tells it. 
um, that mm. it's, it's necessary that both of them fall and um, indeed, fall, but fall in their own particular way. So that Adam, when he should have stood up to Eve and say, no, I think that's in Kanye West's song, right? He says, let's put that apple back on the tree. Yeah. Um, yep. That Adam doesn't stand up to her and therefore in fact cedes her control. So the control, mm. the woman's control is considered mm. fallen. I mean, it, uh, in this sense, it's interesting that this is a current issue when it's so clearly, a, you know, scriptural through the, the you know, literary tradition through into the present. Mm. And yet we're, we're made to think that it's only now that women have actually been able to assert themselves and to achieve something constantly right over and over and over again it's always this never mm -hmm. in never in western history have women had any power or authority and yet their chaucer is telling the story in the 14th century about that's actually what women want which rather suggests that maybe it was a feature of the contemporary time otherwise why would that story have any teeth yeah or even be plausible well right no actually women are, were marvelously submissive in the 14th century and it's only been since <laughs> fill in the blank that they became all uppity or, you know, and, and the thing is, that's what, that's, what's interesting about the, the wife of Bath as narrator and Chaucer set up for it. It's, it's hard to tell whether he disapproves of her, right? Because the setup of this, I mean, she's ugly. She's not ugly. She's sort of obnoxious. Um, and in that sense, it's, it's, it's impossible not, ha not to have, think of her as Marjorie Kemp now, who is, Another woman of the same period who famously wrote a diary of her religious experiences. And the thing that everyone knows about Marjorie is all of her fellow pilgrims abandoned her when they were on their way to Rome or Jerusalem because mm -hmm. she kept bursting into tears all the time <laughs> at, at, at the thought of Christ's passion. And every time she saw a baby and they're all like, oh, my gosh, go away. Right. And, and she gets she gets abandoned on the on the road to the to the holy places because she's such an irritating character to be around. That's as far as we know, a real person. So, you know, it's, it, 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 it is, in fact, not as if women have suddenly turned into Karens um, in, 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 in the last three <laughs> years. Maybe it's a feature of an enduring sort of dynamic that we need to consider. The Karen is ancient. <laughs> We're also the, the Karens are also the basis of civilization, right? Complaining to the management mm. about conditions. That's like... There's a, there's a wonderful footnote in William McNeil's The Rise of the West, where he's talking about how the, the, the British women that go out with their husbands into the colonial period, into the colonies, mm -hmm. are the ones that constantly insist on standards. The men are just going to marry, you know, the locals. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> have a nice time, but the, the British women show up and, you know, everything mm -hmm. has to have tea time. Yes. Well, that's what happened here. Mm. In the early colonial days, there was a lot of uh, going native, and then they had to import their wives. I mean, this kind of, this kind of established the the whole pattern of a socially acceptable de facto relationships in Australia. We've had a long tradition of not really having hang-ups about people being unmarried uh, until the British middle class migrated here and and began to impose their social mores on the on the boat people mm -hmm. uh you know the convict refuse because they were um they were without institutions so they just made it up as they went along and yeah <laughs> tea time was rough 
for a long time. Yeah. So maybe it's just British so... women that are like this. Mm, no. <laughs> oh, all right. I mean, we've given Chaucer as no. an example here. So he said he's writing in Middle English. Maybe it's just English speaking women that mm. behave this way. Um, mm. Possibly. No. I you think not? No. I'm thinking. No. I just thought of it. I just thought of hundreds of examples. No, it's not. <laughs> oh no. Okay. So now, now we're in we're we're in the terrible territory of essentializing, right? Is 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 women's bossiness, which is kind of what we're talking about, simply a feature of Anglophone culture and specifically of the middle class. Possibly, Pre premise one, or or hypothesis <laughs> one. Um, uh, or is it, you know, and then this, this, my own, um, dissertation advisor, Caroline Bynum got into a lot of trouble back in the day, AKA the early nineties, when having written a book on the religious significance of food to medieval women, um, she, cl she made claims about women and she was brought to task for essentializing women because of course, not all women, um, Oh, yeah. Right. So that, that's been, the, you know, it's like the, there's this terrible worry that if you say anything generic about women, you're already in, in, in dangerous territory. Ladies, well, just ladies, do, do you want, do you all want sovereignty? Is there hands up any women out there not who don't want sovereignty? The chat is very quiet right now. <laughs> <laughs> I got my hand up. Oh, you. Well, okay. So, so, so no, no, no. Do we, we, we need, we need like, you know, audience, audience response here to know. Let's see. We say so. Casey and Mel are in there. Uh, you need a, a small library with per, small house, personal library with small house attached. I agree. About piety says if women are anything like me, all they really want is ravioli, oli, oli. Okay. Or okay, no. K Casey is hypothesizing here. Karens without purpose become monsters, possibly. <clears throat> or is it that women without purpose become Karen monsters? <laughs> Casey says, "I myself would make an excellent empress." I I I'm not sure. I don't know. <laughs> well, okay. So I said I had a book, and and I think and I think we want to we want to start with a reading here. And I was I was very interested to find that this book raises a question that has been asked recently in a famous movie that I know you've all seen. Um, here here is this book, and it I'm going to read some of it and see anybody who anybody in the chat, all five of you, um, recognize what I'm reading. I hesitated a long time before writing a book on women, on woman. Sorry, excuse me, on woman. The subject is irritating, especially for women, and it is not new. Enough ink has flowed over the quarrel about feminism. It is now almost over. Let's not talk about it anymore. Yet it is still being talked about, and the volume of idiocies churned out over this past century do not seem to have clarified the problem. Besides, is there a problem, and what is it? Are there even women? True, the theory of the eternal feminine still has its followers. They whisper, even in Russia, women are still very much women. But other well-informed people, and also at times those same ones, lament, woman is losing herself. Woman is lost. It is hard to know any longer if women still exist, if they will always exist, if there should be women at all, what place they hold in this world, what place they should hold. Where are the women? Asked a short-lived magazine recently. But first, what is a woman? See, promised. <laughs> 
Totemulier in Utero. The million dollar question in 2020. She is a womb, some say. Yet speaking of certain women, the experts proclaim they are not women. Even though they have a uterus like the others. Everyone agrees there are females in the human species. I'm not sure about that right now. Are there? Are there females in the human species? Today, as in the past, they make up about half of humanity. And yet we are told that femininity is in jeopardy. We are urged, be women, stay women, become women. So not every female human being is necessarily a woman. She must take part in this mysterious and endangered reality known as femininity. Is femininity secreted by the ovaries? Is it enshrined in a platonic heaven? Is it a frilly petticoat enough to bring it down to earth? You know what I'm reading yet? No. Although some women zealously strive to embody, embody it, the model has never been patented. It is typically described in vague and shimmering terms borrowed from a clairvoyance vocabulary. In St. Thomas's time, it was an essence defined with as much certainty as the sedative quality of a poppy. Uh, but conceptualism is lost ground. Biological and social sciences no longer believe there are mutably determined entities that define given characteristics like those of the woman, the Jew, or the black. Science considers characteristics as secondary reactions to a situation. If there is no such thing today as femininity, it is because there never was. Does the word woman then have no content? It is what advocates of enlightenment, philosophy, rationalism, or nominalism vigorously assert. Women are, among human beings, merely those who are arbitrarily designated by the word woman. I, I, I suppose we should say assigned at birth now. You are arbitrarily de de designated woman. American women, in particular, are inclined to think that women, woman as such no longer exists. If some backward individual still takes herself for a woman, her friends advise her to undergo psychoanalysis to get rid of this obsession. <laughs> is funny <laughs> i mean it's even funnier when i tell you what it is <laughs> referring to a book a very irritating one at that modern woman the lost sex dorothy parker wrote i cannot be fair about books that treat women as women my idea is that all of us men as well as women whoever we are should be considered as human beings but nominalism is a doctrine that falls a bit short and it is easy for anti-feminists to show that women are not men are not men Certainly, woman like man is a human being, but such an assertion is abstract. The fact is that every concrete human being is always uniquely situated. Um, about Pius guessing Schopenhauer, no. Uninitiated says, as a man, I reign supreme. Well, yes. Um, to rec reject the notions of the eternal feminine, the black soul, or the Jewish character is not to deny that there are today Jews, blacks, or women. This denial is not a liberation for those concerned, but an inauthentic flight. Clearly, no woman can claim without bad faith to be situated beyond her sex. A few years ago, well-known woman writer refused to have her portrait appear in a series of photographs devoted specifically to women writers. She wanted to be included in the men's category, but to get this privilege, she used her husband's influence. <laughs> this, I can keep going. This book is very long, but I'll keep going. Women who assert that they are men still claim masculine consideration and respect. I also remember a young Trotskyite standing on a platform during a stormy meeting about to come to blows in spite of her obvious fragility. She was denying her feminine frailty, but it was for the love of a militant man she wanted to be equal to. 
The defiant position that American women occupy proves they are haunted by the sentiment of their own femininity. And the truth is that anyone can clearly see that humanity is split into two categories of individuals with manifestly different clothes, faces, bodies, smiles, movements, interests, and occupations. These differences are perhaps superficial. Perhaps they are destined to disappear. What is certain is that for the moment they exist in a strikingly obvious way. If the female function is not enough to define woman, sounds like Truman Capote for some reason. Nope. Uh, and if we also reject the explanation of the eternal feminine, but if we accept even temporarily that there are women on the earth, we then have to ask, what is a woman? Anybody know what that was? You really should, because this is the reason we're stuck where we are. It's Simone de Beauvoir. Oh, okay. <laughs> Which I have, I've, I've never read the whole thing. It's one of these fat books, right? I've, I've read portions of it. And um, I mean, this is, she's writing in the 40s, right? She's the lover of Jean Paul Sartre. Uh, they had a very <laughs> exciting um, family life where he's cheating on her constantly. And they have, she's got women lover. It's very complicated. They did not have children. Um, this is the founding tome of the current discussion, but as she rightly says, it's not a new topic <laughs> and, and much of what she does. So she starts off the first, first she gives a, she gives, um, it's interesting that the analysis she gives, she starts with the biological data, right? So she gives it this Darwinian reading and then she does Freudian psychoanalytic, and then she does history Marxist, right? Um, and, and then she gets to the part that I'm, Actually, most interesting. Oh, I just did my I just felt history in the Middle Ages. The woman still retained some privileges. She took part in local meetings in the villages, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, 16th century. Anyway, so her history, history, history. And then she gets to the part, which is myth, which is the part that I've read more carefully. Um, this is a fascinating book for the way in mm -hmm. which it tangles up so much. There was there was a lot in what you just. Read. I was the first two pages. <laughs> I wanted to argue with the. I wanted to argue with her. It's almost eight hundred pages long. Just imagine reading the whole thing. <laughs> and the, and the answer is always, the, the woman has been the other. Well, we we'll get to that some, but it's it's like De Bo, I mean, and people have been reading De Beauvoir obviously for for eighty years now, um, and clearly a lot of this wrestling with this. I mean, what is a woman? she asks what is a woman is at the root of some of our current discussions because oh why wouldn't you be able to define what she is because she's not just a womb and she's not even female and what's femininity and mm. yeah so so it's the un <clears throat> it's the uh the deconstruction uh the beginning of that deconstruction that people are stuck in now right. on a loop Mm. Very much so. Which is interesting because that would be partially, I mean, at least partially influenced by the relationship she had with her husband. Sartre, who was an exit, they're both existentialists. And I I, I think mm. I understand where she gets to. I mean, she, she, she ends up, they're both, you know, hyper individualist, which is interesting. You know, she can get the, the answer... Mm. The answer at the end, once you read through all of this, is um, that women need to be 
um, well, they, they want to be equals, right? It's like the, the de Beauvoir is, is definitely wanting to imagine herself as equal to men and not, and never in second place. That's the name of her book, the second, the second sex. Um, mm. and, um, To be, I mean, it's, it's the, she ends up with something like that. Yeah, so things like this at the end, which is the independent woman, right? When finally it is possible for every human being to place his pride above secular differences and the difficult glory of his free existence, only then will woman be able to make her history, her problems, her doubts, and her hopes those of humanity. Only then will she be able to discover in her life and in her works all of reality and not only her own person. As long as she still has to fight to become a human being, she cannot be a creator. This is a very interesting way of framing that problem. <laughs> as, as individuals, she wants them, you know, like, defined, defined at, by herself and to... Um, what's funny about it is I, 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 like I said, I haven't read the whole thing, but I have read the beginning and the end and I have no idea what she's arguing, like what it is she wants to escape ultimately, except for mm -hmm. she wants to escape being a woman. She wants to just escape sad. being defined at all by her sex. See, the <sighs> Casey says, I thought it was a gay man writing about women. Turns out it was a feminist figures. <laughs> the <laughs> feminist, the absolute feminist. Mm -hmm. If you're wrestling with all of this stuff, thanks, thanks Simone de Beauvoir and a century worth of wrestling with this this claim that we can't be our own persons if we're not, if, if we're women and, and, and take on the roles of women. Here, women's situation encourages her to seek salvation in literature and art. That's why I need so many books, clearly. I'm thinking, like, it's, I mean, it's, it's sad. As she was describing the, the need to be not included in the gender i understand that that would be a kind of dysphoria i would identify that as a kind of gender mm. dysphoria reasons for that that are enormous like in terms of di the different reasons why that occurs but she's she's around 80 years ago so her you know the onset of her <laughs> simone de beauvoir's gender dysphoria would be different to to the current generation now but The need to escape is an interesting thing because she obviously doesn't understand, which is something that I, I talk about quite a lot, that women are at our most creative when we're um, supported by the, the structure of a patriarchy. So 
to be emancipated from that structure is actually to be um, not creating at all. Because the, I mean, it, it's kind of like those reality shows uh, that a lot of people have seen, they've talked about it. You know, you put 12 guys on a deserted island. It happened once, actually. Mm. A bunch of Polynesian guys, uh, they were on a raft and then <laughs> they were taken out to sea somewhere. Uh, I forget where it was in Polynesia, but they were basically given up for dead. They were marooned on a desert island and ended up living there for over a year. <laughs> it's a bunch of Catholic Polynesian men. And um, they they survived. They made it work. They were there for over a year until they could figure out, you know, how to uh, set themselves up enough to live there. That was kind of like the plan after being there for mm. a year. Um, and then a ship was sailing and, and caught sight of the island and, the, you know, saw the smoke from the campfire, et cetera, and they get rescued. But you got 12, you know, 12 men that can do that on an island for a year. You get 12 women on a deserted island, you're not going to get survival. <laughs> <laughs> you're going to get something very different. Uh, we don't have the ability to um, set the foundation for civilization in that way. We have a completely different effect on the civilization mm. than, than men do. Um Ours is not infrastructure. It's uh, it's a psychological infrastructure that women are involved in building in their families. So getting emancipated to create makes no sense. It makes no sense whatsoever. She's talking about this uh in a way that makes me think that it's quite possibly a desire to be emancipated from her crappy husband that keeps cheating on her all the time. But I mean, <laughs> he, uh, he was re redirecting his, uh, his energy and attention and focus to other women. So of course she's going to want to be emancipated from that because she's not the primary, primary, uh, place that his own creative energy is going to so yeah so we have i we start our start with our pictures now and we have the the sort of we can do it rosie the river image when you were talking about how women mm. you know would not be in you know, building the building the, the 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 houses and such on their their remote island we do have this vision i mean so de Beauvoir's writing in the in the second world war and the rosie the riveter is you know the women being sent into the factories which women have been sent in the factories yeah. since there were factories one of the things yeah. that Engels complained about in the condition of the working class in england was that the sex the sex um roles had been switched because the women were being employed in the factories and the men didn't have any work and so the the men were I mean this is the mid 1800s right the men are losing their masculinity because mm -hmm. the women are there in the factory so yeah again not a new problem um yeah. but as you were talking I was, it occurred to me that one of the curious things about as much as I've read of the second sex is de Beauvoir never talks about other women 
Mm. <laughs> or she, I mean, maybe I, t- I mean, there's a whole section where she talks about the married woman and stuff, but it's like for most of it is her, this, it, I mean, like she says, the, the question is woman, right? It's this singular. She is doing what women do, which is thinking entirely of herself through the whole thing. It's only one woman that, that I, mm-hmm. I don't, I mean, and, and she's complaining constantly about how, um, this is, this is the, the myth, the myth one, which I've read because of what she says about Mary in it earlier, but, um, uh, history has shown that men have always held all the concrete powers from patriarchy's earliest times. They have deemed it useful to keep a woman in a state of dependence. Their codes were set up against her. She was this concretely established as the other. This condition served males' economic interests, but it also suited their ontological and moral ambitions. Blah blah blah. Um, but the other, she's always she's always talking about women in relation to men, but it's woman in relation yes. to men. And there's, it, it really only occurred to me as you were talking that there's no other women in the book. There's just her, mm. which is hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> she needs it's all about her. References. She needs some references to draw on. <laughs> well, I mean, she's, and she, one of the things she complains about is like to study all of these myths, all you get over and over and over in men's images of women. But, she, I, again, I now I would have to read, you know, well, I don't really like reread, I don't like reading De Beauvoir anyway, but that she, there's this curious, I mean, sterility to the whole thing because A, she had no children, mm. um, but B, it's, it's not like she's imagining a feminist, like a, a feminist colony or something. She, she wants to yeah. be an individual with other human beings and those other human beings are all men. <laughs> I'm just going to, I'm going to giggle at this for a bit. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. Well, I mean, it's, <laughs> that's kind of funny. She's, she's complaining about not being able to be creative because of masculine repression, but she's not even able to conceptualize a female colony <laughs> doing anything with <laughs> that's such a that's that's such a great on um and the admission that it's just it's she she obviously didn't think it was possible you know it's not like sisters in arms we'll all get together and we'll create a civilization and no Milo without any masculine input, no right <laughs> not at all and, and, and she she doesn't she doesn't want a yeah she doesn't she doesn't want a feminine other i mean she what she she wants not things she she is actually you know transgender in the sense of she wants to be uh, wants women to be human beings and therefore to be no category of man or woman mm-hmm. and, and she wants to wipe out both but i mean what what's fascinating about it is of course from what i understand of her and sarge they did have a fairly lively sex life so it's a uh, it's not that she doesn't want sex as a physical activity, but she doesn't mm. want to there to be sex sexes in the sense of, I don't know. It's a, the, 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 I think the, 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 the place that I found of all of these, maybe we'll just, she goes through the myths, right? And the myths are interesting because she talks about how woman is, um, 
woman is imagined by man as all of these others that he's then projecting himself onto. And she quotes Kierkegaard at mm. this point, which I th it is a pretty funny passage. To be a woman, says Kierkegaard, is something so strange, so confused, and so complicated that no one predicate can express it. And the multiple predicates that might be used contradict each other in such a way that only a woman could put up with it. <laughs> she says this comes from being considered not positively as she is for herself, but negatively such as she appears to man. Because, it, but the thing is, she doesn't, I, as far as I can tell, when I read her, I don't come up with any like calmer version of who, who we are as women, mm -hmm. right? It's like, I, I mean, she says, I went to work, but I don't want to be pinned down, but I went to this, I went with that. It's like, one, she sounds just like Kierkegaard is saying, so she doesn't really escape from that characterization. It could be that men actually have accurately described what they see of us. Maybe. I mean, that gives us mm -hmm. the ability to accurately describe them too. So go, don't go there, guys. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> we see you, <laughs> but the yeah. I I don't think she undoes the the feeling of complexity that she keeps claiming men are projecting onto us. Like, that is us. We are that complicated and simple. I mean, I it's it's so one we we kind of hope that we would like finally come around to doing a a, a video that would answer some of what Vox says he can't answer, which is women's social sexual hierarchy, but we can't promise anything <laughs> no <laughs> i mean we actually do the, the answer women take their hierarchy take their status from their relationship to men i know ladies you do that you do it all the time and we might talk through that possibly yeah we can yeah. do that <laughs> yeah. i'm uh I'm still amused that there's no female utopia in Dubois' vision. And it's something that I thought about a very long time ago, actually. Um, before uh, before I fl flew away to the motherland, uh, Mother Africa, I was thinking about this because I could feel it that this uh, feminist wave was building and building and it was going to crash somehow. I don't know. I just had a weird intuitive feeling about it. And I thought about what what a female colony would look like and i didn't want to move there like i i imagined a, a kind of a world in which women had picked up their stuff and eliminated men from the from the from the life that they mm. were living in the world that they were existing in and i personally did not want to be there and that's when i realized that <laughs> I wasn't ever going to go along with the feminist thing uh, for any longer than I needed to to survive in a workplace um, because I know I've, I've known for a very long time that a, a, a world without men in it is a living hell and it's because of the the treatment of women towards other women it's it's not an oppression of patriarchy that is the problem at all uh, there are a million dynamics that are going on between females, sometimes that men don't even pick up on. You guys think you know us. You're so oblivious. <laughs> think that you should, th no they should think they're luck, right? <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, like, no wonder we're all neurotic and stressed out all the time. Like, we're, we're, we're kind of, like, jacked into radio waves that you guys can ignore that are impossible for, for women because if we don't 
pay attention to them, if we do ignore them, then we are um, we are outcasts. We are exiled from the from the the from the female hierarchy. Um, there are rules that you have to play along with as a woman that are unspoken and yet they're real. And if you do not play along with those rules and you are out. Um, so it's, uh, it's an interesting thing that, you know, Simone de Beauvoir is promoting this idea of, uh, ultimate creativity being possible without men in my experience has been the complete opposite. Well, she's, th this is, I mean, what I'm realizing as we're talking about this is she, I mean, at least I will, I have to keep confessing. I haven't read the whole book, but in the parts that I've read, she's mainly concerned about herself in relation to men and none mm -hmm. of it that I've read. And I've read the whole sort of history, the biology, history, psychoanalysis, myth part. I haven't read the, what woman is like growing up part, but there's no mention of other women in it. So it's, I mean, mm -hmm. there's, and, and when she's, she's talking about the myths, right. It's like, we'll go to, we'll go to share being, being sweet and, and puzzled. Um, when she's going through the myths, she's talking about, so, um, first, first she's associated with childbirth, which is hor horrifying for men because it's about death, right? Cause birth and death. Um, and then we mm -hmm. get to menstrual blood. In all civilizations and still today, she inspires horror in man, the horror of his own carnal contingents that he projects onto her. Woman becomes impure the day she might be able to procreate. So it's like, it's all, you know, the way men react to women. Um, mm. Menstrual blood embodies the essence of femininity. Okay. Um, how men are in sex in sexual release the man in his lover's embrace seeks to lose himself in the infinite mystery of the flesh man does not merely seek in the sexual act subjective and ephemeral pleasure he wants to conquer take and possess to have a woman is to conquer her he penetrates her as the plowshare in the furrows he makes her his as he makes his earth his the earth he is working he plows he plants he sows <laughs> i mean come on <laughs> um, so, you know, the myths of virginity, virginal blood, um, the curse of being an old maid, beauty, right? But not just any woman can play the role of mediator between man and the world. Man is not satisfied with finding sexual organs complementary to his own and his partner. She must embody the wondrous blossoming of life while concealing its mysterious disturbances at the same time. See, sometimes it feels like she's getting upset about stuff that's actually nice, <laughs> mm. like, yeah. wouldn't you want to be considered the source of fertility <laughs> isn't that a good thing <laughs> right first of all she has to have youth and health for man cannot be enraptured in his embrace of a living thing unless he forgets that all life is inhabited by death i don't think this is accurate and what's interesting is i you know i don't i'm not sure how many men can like stomach reading enough of her to to work through what she's misunderstanding about them but and he desires still more that his beloved be beautiful the ideal of feminine beauty is variable, but some requirements remain constant. One of them is that since woman is destined to be possessed, her body has to be to provide the inert and passive qualities of an object. Virile beauty is the body's adaptive adaptation to active functions such as strength, agility, flexibility, and the manifestations of a transcendence animating a flesh that must never collapse into itself. 
The only symmetry to be found in the feminine ideal is in Sparta, fascist Italy, and Nazi Germany. Societies that destined woman for the state and not for the individual, and that considered her exclusively as mother with no place for eroticism. Like, oh, for goodness sake. Right. It's, 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 I mean, it gets better. <laughs> I'm working up to it. Right. So she gets, she gets to mm. wife. She's field and pasture, but also Babylonia. And on our modern society, masturbation is considered a date. She wants, you know, like sexual freedom, which, which obviously she's talking herself into the kind of complicated sexual life that she and Sartre had. Um, mm-hmm. What man thus cherishes and detests first in woman, lover as well as mother, is the fixed image of her animal desti- destiny. So she gets to this point, it's like woman is the image of death because of our fertility. And because we're fertile, that's also reminding the man always of his mortality. Um, you know, we got the... Uh, I've already said that the other is implied in all sexual acts and its face is usually woman's. Woman is vampire. Oh, no, sorry. Excuse me. Man's experience. Man experiences his own flesh's passivity the most strongly in front of her. Woman is vampire, ghoul, eater, drinker. Her sex organ feeds gluttonously on the male sex organ. (laughs) Trust me, it gets better. It's okay. All right. Okay. 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 So here we go. Now we're finally to Mary. <clears throat> all right. This is another long passage. Are you guys with me? We all went farm boy from Princess Bride, as you wish. Okay. Paradoxically, it was Christianity that was to proclaim the equality of man and woman on a certain on a certain level. Christianity detests the flesh in her. If she rejects the flesh, she is like him, a creature of God, redeemed by the Savior. Here she can take her place beside males among those souls guaranteed celestial happiness. Men and women are God's servants, almost as asexual as the angels, who together with the help of grace reject earth's temptations. If she agrees to announce her animality, woman, from the very fact that she incarnated sin, will also be the most radiant incarnation of the triumph of the elect who have conquered sin. Of course, the divine savior beings about redemption is male, but humanity must cooperate in its own salvation, and perversely it will be called upon to manifest its submissive goodwill in its most humiliated figure. Christ is God, but it is a woman, the Virgin Mother, who reigns over all human creatures. Yet only marginal sects restore the great goddess's ancient privileges to the woman. The church expresses and serves a patriarchal civilization where it is befitting for woman to remain annexed to man. As his docile servant, she will also be a blessed saint. Thus the image of the most perfected woman, propitious to men, lies at the heart of the Middle Ages. The face of the mother of Christ is encircled in glory. She is the inverse figure of the sinner Eve. She crushes the serpent under her foot. She is the mediator of salvation, as Eve was of damnation. Um, I'll keep going because it's actually a hopeful. She dis- she despises the idea of service. There's a there's a bit where she goes straight up BDSM. <laughs> I think it's I think it's in this passage. Oh, 
Oh, oh, this is okay. It is as mother that the woman was held in awe. Through motherhood, she has to be transfigured and subjugated. Mary's virginity has above all a negative value. She by whom the flesh has been redeemed is not carnal. She has neither been touched nor possessed. Neither was the Asiatic great mother assumed to have a husband. She had engendered the world and reigned over it alone. She could be lascivious by impulse, but her greatness as mother was not diminished by imposed wifely servitudes. Likewise, Mary never experienced sustain connected with sexuality. Related to the woman warrior Minerva, she is an ivory tower, a citadel, an impregnable fortress. Like most Christian saints, the priestesses of antiquity were virgins. The woman devoted to good should be devoted with the splendor of her strength intact. She must conserve the principle of her femininity and its unbroken wholeness. One rejects in Mary her character as wife in order to more fully exult in her the woman mother. But she will be glorified only by accepting the subservient role assigned to her. I am the handmaid in the Lord. For the first time in the history of humanity, the mother kneels before her son. She freely recognizes her inferiority. inferiority. The supreme masculine victory is consummated in the cult of Mary. It is the rehabilitation of woman by the achievement of her defeat. She sounds like a Cathar. A long, long <laughs> I I love that. So we have our, our two movies for tonight are Clueless and The Addams Family. Um, and, and here mm -hmm. Cher, who famously in the movie, which I thought was lovely, is very picky about not having sex with anybody because you've seen how picky I am with my shoes. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> I, it's, it's wholesome. Yes, it's very wholesome. Shares great. So, well, you know, what women want, most people, they're clueless. Okay. So I thought, well, let's have a look at clueless because Shares' whole thing in that film, which is based on an Austin novel, Jane Austen, um, is she's fixing everyone up. She wants to find everybody their match and she plays matchmaker with everybody. She can play matchmaker with everybody except herself. And um, she's this gorgeous Beverly Hills princess who ends up making absolute disasters because she <laughs> she does what Simone Beauvoir is doing and imposes her own vision of things onto mm. other women. Yes. So instead of looking at what is good for the girls around her and the kind of men that they want, she is um, fixing them up with the people that she thinks they should be with anyway. So that, that, kind, of, that kind of movie puts it in a fun way, like growing up as a girl, what, what the dynamics really are to grow up female. I think, uh, I think Clueless nails it. And it also shows which I really appreciate about the story. Uh, it shows how dependent on women she, uh, how dependent on men she is. She can, she can do all of the things that she's doing because she's supported by a good father. Right. And she has, uh, she has men around her or boys around her that are, uh, uh, doing things for her and her girlfriends are the same so it's uh yeah it's a, it's an interesting kind of snapshot to think about now i put it against something else and it was the rosie the riveter picture right um we're not there yet 
Okay. I have I have her against the Mean Girls. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, Cher is a good a good example of somebody who, even though she's making mistakes and what she's doing, has good intentions. She wants the women around her to do well. Right. The other one is Regina George from Mean Girls, who has the complete, uh, the complete opposite approach to things, and is a tyrant and reigning over the female hierarchy, like a dictator. So, yeah, they're the two, uh, the two little archetypes that I wanted to talk about. Well, I've talked about Simon de Beauvoir enough, so you talk about yours. <laughs> Well, it's, it's interesting now because it's linked with it. Um, even the movies we're making, even the stories that are being made, all of these women that look very powerful and independent and uh, liberated are still existing in a world where their decision-making and their opinions and everything revolves around men. The difference between these two characters, the reason why I chose them and I wanted to put them back to back, is in how they treat the men that are around them. Um, Regina George, she wants to be sovereign. Mm -hmm. Her name is Regina. <laughs> <laughs> George. The queen. Regina right? George. Queen George. Regina She's George. Queen George. Queen yeah. George. Yeah. Nice one. Exactly. So she wants sovereignty. She's she's not going to uh, she's not going into service. Whereas Cher, Cher is enjoying her uh, enjoying her role. She knows her role as a woman, and she doesn't want sovereignty. But I think this is where men don't understand the difference between women sometimes mm. types of women they're both blonde they're both spoiled they're both uh boy mad you know it's like in the outside appearances these two girls look exactly the same really the way they the way that they're behaving completely focused on boys and who can get a, uh, you know who can get their attention the approach is completely different one wants sovereignty the other one wants to see all the women around her happy and doing well and she isn't willing to just go with anybody it's not a sovereignty claim it's that she has a uh, share this is she has a real sense of what women deserve she wants the best for herself and she wants the best for the girls around mm -hmm. her. So she's my my figurehead of today's discussion on what women want because uh, I think Cher is a good example of, uh, you know, showing everybody what that is in her own silly little way. Um, and it's not independence from men. And it's not emancipation from the patriarchy. It's quite the opposite. Cher is uh, hopelessly reliant on her father, even with her own uh, 
independence of mind and machinations and everything that she's doing, but she's very aware that she's hopelessly dependent on her father. Regina George, on the other hand, <laughs> is the daughter of a single mm. mother who's spoiled her and doted on her and given her everything she wants, but she has no patriarch in the background. There is no man in, in the house of Regina George, so the dynamics are completely different. And the way she, the way that well, and Cher has she no mother, sees, right? Her mother died. Cher has no mother. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So you see the outcome of like what happens when you've got single motherdom versus single fatherdom, and that uh, I think because Regina has not grown up with the masculine father figure, her approach to men is to gain sovereignty over them. Whereas Cher has grown up indulged and spoiled and she sees men as potential uh, candidates for that kind of, uh, that kind of life that she can be maintained as, as a woman and as a female and, doted on by them so yeah they're my they're my my two uh my two characters that i wanted people to start to think about because we're getting lumped all together in this category of woman and women and oh females are all the same they all want the same thing this is doing a massive disservice to a lot of women. The thing that you put, posted the other day with the Moria Grayland making her comments on what's happening to women and how our femininity is being deconstructed in the mm -hmm. culture with the demands of having to um, pretend that we want what the influencers are marketing and selling to us. Um, there are a lot of shares that are scared to say that they want to be Cher and they don't want to be Regina George. There are a lot of women that are not comfortable breaking that taboo because it's become a taboo now. To say you want to be a Cher is a taboo, I think. Now now I have the shares with the Cher and her friends with the riveter underneath. Yes. So she's not working in a <laughs> <laughs> Cher likes to dress up. Well, I'm not I'm not sure she meant different why I wanted to be working in a factory. She wanted to be, you know, a philosopher, right? She she did very well in her examinations in the French system and, you know, it's incredibly intelligent and what she wants to be doing is you know, existential philosophy alongside Sartre. Although it's interesting that what she wrote about instead was what would be women instead of, I don't know, goodness or beauty or something like that. Mm -hmm. um, and that as, as we're talking, realizing that she, she, de Beauvoir is utterly focused on men and yet claiming that that's the thing that women should not be. Um, I couldn't, I can't, I was flipping around. I can't find, there is a passage where she very explicitly describes Mary's relationship with God as sadomasochistic. And, and I've quoted it in the, I think it's, I put it in one of my blog posts, but I, I used it in a paper talking about this mm -hmm. problem that feminism has created for seeing Mary because, you know, they see her relationship to God in this sadomasochistic way. And it's, it's straight up in de Beauvoir and that's her own sexuality. 
right? It's like the, the, this, this sort of distortion of women's sexuality through de Beauvoir. And she's, I mean, like to show the book again, like she's pretty intimidating, right? That women are given this book to read in college and, and think that they have to come out being de Beauvoir, which means, you know, the independent woman and not soiled by men's imagination that they would be good mothers. Well, she's being Regina George for generations of college women. I don't think she's even being Regina George. At least Regina George wants men. I mean, <laughs> that's mm. what—that's what's perverse about yeah. it. It's like I've—I've—it has not—it has not occurred to me until we're talking right now that De Beauvoir is not talking about women at all. She's—I mm. mean, she's utter—she's utterly talking about herself, which unfortunately women kind of tend to do. But she's doing it in this sort of blinkered way that is like projecting onto all other women her own dissatisfaction with her in, in, in intellectual position which is mm. a terrible thing that that you know blue stockings do ladies um that you know obviously uh, we say this it comes out of the colleges it comes out of a particular category of very intelligent women who want to talk philosophy with men maybe i'm guilty of that <laughs> But I don't think so because I don't really say this to all women. Saying, you know, it's like you have you have betrayed this. The, I mean, the sisterhood doesn't even exist in day before. I don't know that there is such a thing for her, right? That there that sisterhood mm -hmm. claim has always struck me as a is as, as a bit false. Yes, all she has is sisters older, two two entries. <laughs> so there's there's no sisterhood in this book. Mm -hmm. And, and there's not even her wanting to be queen bee, right? It's just her wanting to be a human being, which is the way she phrased it. She wants to be a human being and therefore not sexed in any way. And yet those passages I'm just reading for you, she's clearly very sexed in the sense that she's um, addicted to the physical practice. Mm. Well... All right, I'll, I'm going to defend women, first off, with the, the self-centeredness that is manifested even by Dubois, who's trying to emancipate herself from being female. <laughs> she's trying to emancipate herself from being a woman, but she, the thing is she's behaving just like a woman as she's doing it. Yeah. yeah so. No, I'm going to defend the girls. Um, they have to be self-centered. Self-centered women are healthy. Uh, it's... It's a it's a death sentence for a woman to be selfless in terms of uh, dealing with um, fallen man or the fallen state of this world, because women literally die without men. Like beyond all of the BS about how our technology has changed everything and blah da 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 da. No, we literally die first off without masculine attention, and then secondly without masculine problem solving because very few women are going to become existential philosophers and even then she's clearly not solving many problems she didn't solve any of her problems <laughs> she doesn't solve many problems so we've got we've got this like uh we've got we've got a, a need uh for for input and for attention and for problem solving of men and things that we can't do that only they can do without that we're absolutely stuffed so this self-centeredness that irritates men is also the thing that keeps us alive 
It's I'm the not thing sure that it even sure irritates that... them. I mean, so here, okay, you know, full when they complain. No, I, I'm speaking in terms of the 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 general complaint now that all oh, women they just think about themselves and they want to control men all the time. This is like okay. That, usually, that when I hear the guys saying that, they just want certain women to pay attention to them. <laughs> I will. Oh, I will so come silly. out from behind my cloak of reading Simon de Beauvoir and say, be, "Be, be, 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 ultimately blunt." Let me let me organize my thoughts here. Um, okay. No, wait. I've I've lost it. Carry on. Carry on. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, okay. The thing is, well, I don't. You I, I, you know, I don't. I truly, I don't think men actually are that. I mean, I don't think men pay that much attention to us, frankly. Because why would they? Mm-hmm. I mean, th- th- I mean, th- they they make jokes about it all the time. Or at least some men make jokes about it all the time. It's like we're not doing anything that's ultimately interesting to them, which is fine. Um, you know, th- you, we want them to listen to us when we're you know sharing stories and stuff like that, which may be another category of this. But I think most of the time when men are saying, you know, you 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 women are so selfish, is that like you're not paying enough attention to me. So the men are doing it too. They want us to pay yeah. attention to them. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, the attention should be different, though. Mm. The way that women give men attention should be completely different to the way that men give women attention. Okay. Okay, so firstly, uh, I had to finish like, uh, my, my previous rant, because I want to defend the girls, okay, because they're on. getting hammered constantly. Um, we're just going to hammer, we're just hammering on Simone de Beauvoir for giving us a completely useless 800-page <laughs> analysis of what it means to be a woman. <laughs> Thank you so much, Simone. <laughs> Go back to bed. (laughs) (laughs) Well, women have children that they have to take care of. And for the most part, that's a life or death situation because if they're not getting input and resources for those kinds of, you know, demands, then everything goes to hell very quickly. So, the self-centeredness makes sense to me in terms of just a basic survival thing. But also, women are looking at men because they want to know that they're doing the right thing. They want to know that they're... Uh, what's the word? Um, I don't know. I'm using. Okay, well, let's uh, let's go to the the example you gave us. So we've had Cher and I forgot what her friend's name is. Stacy. Oh, we'll go back to Stacy Dash, who you know had had that moment where she was being outed as a, a Republican and lost all her friends. Right. So yay, Stacy. Like being, being, oh yeah. Being strong woman there, but that um, we have now mm-hmm. the the women in their business suits on the phone, just like the girls are, but they're not right it's like the premise being that we we want we we are supposed to want male careers and that we are only Mm. fully realizing our potential as women if we have mm, the same careers men do Mm. which of course as an academic woman i recognize (laughs) just isn't difficult situation as de beauvoir is here because Yes, I want to be a teacher in, you know, the higher realms of the academy uh, because I like thinking hard thoughts about stuff that I like arguing about. But I also recognize I do it rather differently from the men. And so, you know, so maybe there's a, you know, there's an equality, but 
the, the not identity in this situation, but the, the, the fundamental premise for most women, because most women are not actually in academia, although they're trained in academia to think that they should be in the workforce at this level, is that to be fulfilled as human beings, which is the way Du Beauvoir sets it up, right? To be fulfilled as a human being, mm -hmm. you need to be doing the kind of creative work that, that men are. And if you're doing the kind of work that women have been doing, like having children and raising them, you are not f being fulfilled as a human being. Mm. Well, so that's, I don't know. that's the place where Dave Ouvar leaves everything. It's like, you should want to be in this career. And that is what makes you a human being. And anything else for women is, you know, being shunted back into second sex and then seen as other by men. No. <laughs> I, I mean, I don't know, like, how uh, women on phones... It's kind of right. So this is a wog thing, but you've got like I, I I chose those images, and I'm glad that they're linked because it's kind of like women's careers are talking. We talk mm. for good or evil. We talk, and so. Essentially, that that phone, that that um, line of communication and building networks, that's a woman's like unparalleled uh, ability. Uh, you know, it's not it's not a first world thing. You go into third world countries, it's the same thing. The girls are all on their phones all the time. Okay, like that's cool. Yeah, up, okay. Old Italian women, Greek women on the phone all the time, and you know, there's even like comedy all over Instagram. I'll post a clip on the sandwich press later on so everyone can see it. It's very funny. Um, the Nigerian Irish guy is talking about how if he asks his mom for anything while she's on the phone, she'll say yes until she's hung up, hung up the phone and then she realizes what she's just said yes to. But girls on phones, I grew up with girls on phones, organizing the entire society of the Hellenic uh, colony that we're in on the phone. Everything was done constantly talking on the phone so for me it's women talking that's our that's our strength we have this um deep desire to form connections with people to be gossiping to exchange information mm -hmm. to be talking about who's doing what and do what about what and it goes off in two directions obviously like you can go manipulative side where suddenly it's uh regina george who's gathering her information and, you know, forming her little swarms. Or you've got uh, how it's manif manifested in a traditional society where the girls know what's going on with everybody right. and their family. They know what's going on with their communities, their neighbours. They know what's going on with their churches and everything because they're talking to each other all the time. So Cher and her friends, you know, when they're in their tartan and their kilts, they're chatting to each other as they're walking down the hallway. That's why. <laughs> oh, that, yeah, that was really funny. funny. It's like they're, just, they're, yeah. they're both there side by side <laughs> yeah. walking with their phones. Yeah. Yeah, they've been on the phone to each other the whole time on the way to school and then they meet and they're still on the phone chatting and then they hang up. <laughs> so 
that's that that's that's women. So putting that into an office space and then calling it a career is interesting because <clears throat> there is no engineering required in talking. It's a different kind of problem solving. <laughs> there, there's a different. You're not dealing with material. You're not dealing with um, dominance in the material world in the same way that men are when they're in their careers in their workplaces. Men are making things. They're doing things with stuff. Mm -hmm. They're playing around. They're tinkering. They're inventing. They're engineering or whatever it is. The girls are talking. So they're not dealing with material in the same way, uh, I think, traditionally. And that's where I'm looking at that, the, the two images side by side, realizing that Women are by nature relationship creators. They yes. want to form relationships. Yes. That is a woman's career. So this is, we have now in a mere hour and some demolished most modern feminism. Good job. <laughs> because, <laughs> no, it's like, so Casey's saying, so David Moore thought she was the perfect example of being a woman. Yes. And yet her whole critique of being a woman is a, I mean, I, 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 I'm pretty amused, right? Because this is, you've done better at deconstructing all of feminism than all of my colleagues ever over decades yeah. of teaching this stuff. Saying oh, yeah. she's not talking about mm -hmm. other women and she's not actually talking about what women's strengths are, which is mm -hmm. ironic and horrible. And Casey is, Casey's carrying on an argument in the, in the, 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 Dragon Cameroon chat, to, I, which accurately summarizes what we're doing. I think what they're saying, that's you and me, is that the answer to the mm -hmm. question, what do women want, is this. They want to reject feminism and be their natural selves without apology to Simone de Beauvoir or any other modernist reinterpretation of femaleness. Yes. So let's do yep. that. Let's yep. say, what yep. is a woman actually, rather than with this fake version, which is she's an imperfect man, which is where de Beauvoir says the entire tradition went. It's saying, yes, okay, if men are writing about the tradition, we already found out that men like writing poetry about women and how much they love them. So get over it, ladies, women, Simone de Beauvoir, that they do like us. They find us irritating, but we find each other irritating too. Yes. So the the saying, let's let's go to these ladies. It's like the, the the different kinds of women that we're dealing with, and one's Morticia, and the other one's Debbie. Debbie, <laughs> <laughs> I hope everyone has seen this these films because if you haven't, you are missing out on gold. It's wonderful. <laughs> Perhaps so. I, I I take it that some even don't know Cher is 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 is. is is the singer's name applied to the character in Clueless. So oh, maybe, yeah. maybe we should explain a little bit of what's going on in the Adams Family. Okay. So Adams Family was a comic, then it became a television show in the 60s. The 60s, right? Mm -hmm. It was prior to black and white TV. But it's color TV. Anyway. It's in black um, and white. Yeah. It's in black and white. And only two seasons so, of it, in fact. It only ran for two years. 
Yeah, it didn't go for a long time. Yeah. Then in the 90s, they made two films to kind of reboot the franchise. And the aesthetics in the 90s movies were based on the comics more than the, the 1960s show was. Anyway, I was thinking about The Addams Family a couple of years ago because it occurred to me that there are perfect uh, kind of representation of the ideal family, even <laughs> though everyone thought they were supposed to be representing the horror of how, you know, weirdos are, uh, you know, these weird characters are gate crashing uh, the perfection of 1960s suburbia. I was thinking, I was obsessed because I'd rewatched it. I watched it a lot when I was a kid, but I rewatched it again and it just clicked to me. I was like, these people are Catholics. This is why they're so weird to all of their neighbors. And then I started like focusing on all of the dynamics of the, the films uh, in terms of the relationships that they've got with each other and the way that the women in, in these films are behaving with each other too. Right. Because a lot of people was, you know, when I, when I started to post on Morticia and Gomez's romance, romance, and then, uh, you know, I had, I had some comments, people said, Oh, he's such a cuck, mm. you know, he's a real simp. He's simping for her. I was like, Oh, wow. Okay. So to me, Morticia and Gomez were like the perfect couple madly in love with each other clearly not using any <laughs> any birth control <laughs> you know it was like the, the wild romance of a, of a catholic family and then morticia is showing her real power in that family structure she is not going to work you know as as a as a a retail assistant she's not leaving the home for work but you see in morticia the real work of a woman in a family which is keeping it together mm -hmm. and how her relationship with every single other person in the Adams family keeps everything going. So she's like uh share on the telephone only in black. But then they get this arrival in uh in the second film where they need a babysitter. They need a nanny because suddenly they've got three children and it's overwhelming. <laughs> so they hire this nanny who's a blonde bombshell, Debbie. She looks wholesome. You know, she's perfect. And uh, there's something wrong with her. So as the film goes, Debbie is revealed to be a gold digger. She's out to get the money of the eldest brother, Uncle Festa. She's going to latch her claws into him, wrench him away from the family and get all the money, which is what she does. And you see the relationship between her and Morticia and Wednesday and the dynamics of these three girls in the environment and also the, um, the mother, Morticia's mother, who's a witch. And it's a really good picture of female dynamics mm. and how um, Morticia's enraged because she understands what's going on and the men don't get it. First, the first person <laughs> who gets it, 
the fourth person <laughs> who gets it is Wednesday. She, the the little Wednesday Adams. She starts to catch on that there's something wrong with this woman mm -hmm. first, and then, <clears throat> of course, Debbie, being uh being psycho as she is, sends the kids away to a summer camp so she doesn't have to deal with the interference of the child. And then she does what she 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 does. But Morticia has this beautiful moment where she goes up to the house that uh, Debbie has bought with all of Fester's money. It's this massive pastel mansion. And she just arrives and says, you know, I understand you've enslaved him with a strange sexual spell. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, Debbie, pastel, you know, it's extra hard. <laughs> little knife dig at her and she just, she goes mad. But Morticia is throughout the film trying to keep the family together because she realizes what's happened is this, this horrible blonde bombshell gold digger has destroyed the patriarchy mm -hmm. her husband um gomez and his brother are estranged from each other it's created this uh huge schism in the adams family and it's uh it's destroying her husband so you know he is having his nervous breakdown <laughs> And, uh, yeah, so this for me was like a beautiful picture of how women actually interact with each other. The, the thing that people don't talk about, women on women combat and how it looks and, and how women have to protect their patriarchy because that is where they are most creative. Mm -hmm. Morticia is at peak female creative mode. She's sublimely happy. And her job in that family is to make sure that everyone else is connected and that everyone else is, you know, um, is is content. And it, it's the gold digger, this, like, Debbie character who comes in, and she's the one who has to fix it. Morticia's the one that has to get rid of Debbie, ultimately. Uh, and then, you know, you see the back and forth between the two of them and... Uh, yeah, it's a it's a good ending, but um, what I what I liked about the visuals for that film too was that, you know, it it reverses it. People would assume it's it's Morticia that's the one who's going to be causing the evil, mm -hmm. and in this in this scenario, it's it's the blonde, uh, the one that looks wholesome. You know, it's this kind of. Uh, really good portrait of how beauty is weaponized against mm -hmm. men to destroy them so yeah i thought it was a i thought it was a great thing to focus on for our topic today well because so what the, the two the, women wanted were completely different i mean this is good to using de Beauvoir as our as our anti-woman um mm. Sorry, it's it's when you're you're talking that I'm thinking. Okay, so De Beauvoir doesn't analyze at least as far as I know, right? And everybody you can tell me in the footnotes that she did in the second part that I didn't read, but she's not dealing with the the what you've been gesturing towards is like women's women's actual hierarchy and the way we mm -hmm. operate together, um, which means therefore modern feminism isn't right. Modern feminism never seems to be able to address this problem of what happened <laughs> between women which is frustrating, right? Because there's this, this premise that we're all, you know, meant to be allied against the men, which is nonsense. 
because yeah. it's, it, you know, in our own hierarchies, it's each other that are in competition, not with the, not with the men, but with each other. And you can see that it's like the, mm -hmm. there was back when I was watching Ink Master <laughs> about the tattoos. Um, the, the, mm -hmm. Usually, I mean, there are not that many women tattoo artists and there always be more men in the competition than the women. And the women would always start in the interviews that they had with the artists declaring themselves in competition with the other women right it's like i'm the best of the women right it's mm -hmm. always it's like wait a minute you're supposed to be i mean there is one woman i can't remember which how many seasons it was in that she actually won straight out and she was a very talented artist but that most of the time women read just the the, the competition so that even if theoretically you're simply in competition as such as artists mm -hmm. the women will start competing with each other more so than they're competing with the men. Mm -hmm. So we, we slice ourselves off and, and, and to this day, I don't, I mean, except in these movies, right. You say it's in the Addams family, it's in mean girls for sure. Um, it's rarely theorized as far as I've experienced. I mean, it's like, we've got Judith Butler telling us that there's no such thing as gender. And it's like the women want to write it out. Okay, maybe this is it. Women like David Barr, Judith Butler, want to write out the existence of any of this stuff, probably because they're not able to deal with it. Mm. I mean, it's like... Well, it's very painful. It's, it's, yes, it's very, very painful as women together painful. against each other. And that is the great taboo that we're not supposed to talk about. Because mm. if you... One, I mean, the, fir the first thing is, if you are complaining about it, it means you're already the victim of it. Um, that, you know, it's like, if you're not, if you're right. not Regina George, you are, or, or, you know, and like Heather's, right. That's another one we could have used. If you're, if you're not able to surmount the, the, the queen bee, um, you're just going to get slaughtered. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you do. Yeah. You do. It's happened to me so many times. Um, uh, I'm thinking of a few things. So women want sovereignty the... over other women. Maybe that's it. <laughs> but the thing is, yeah. I don't know if that's quite true, right? It's like we've got. Cher, I think I like your example: Cher versus Regina, or Morticia versus Debbie. That. Um... Well, Cher's a good alpha. Like Cher yeah. is a really good alpha female because she's not. Um... She wants influence because that seems to be like, you know, it's healthy and normal. The same same way that Morticia Adams wants influence, mm -hmm. but it's what she's doing with influence that matters. The, you know, the the approach that Cher has is, I'm going to find this um, this skated tomboy and I'm going to turn her into a beautiful little butterfly and show her, you know, how cute she is, and I'm going to find her a nice boy who's going to college, and you know, she kind of wants to upgrade and and do a glow up for this this friend of hers, so, um, she wants to see the best in the in the girls around her. Mm -hmm. That's not normal. <laughs> <laughs> That's not a normal way of behaving. I mean, if you find well, it's like, not normal uh, in the sense of it's hard for women to do, rather than it's not. Yeah. yeah. No, it's just uncommon. Sorry, it's probably a better way of phrasing right. it. Um, it's it's uncommon, and um, I mean, 
sorry, my brain's veering off into so many different directions with this. But hey, I, I see, Mondo, we were about eight hundred pages, and she couldn't get as far as we are in one <laughs> night. So we will probably have to revisit this. But we're breaking new ground here. Okay. <laughs> Well, uh, I'll say something else a little controversial. I mean, I, I, I lived in a polygamous African country for, for quite some time. Um, so I've seen uh, marriage relationships that are not like Simone de, Bo- de Beauvoir's um, pseudo-monogamy mm. or, you know, what the French did, which is institutionalize a mistress. I lived in a, a, in a country where you can openly say I'm the third or fourth wife and it's completely fine. <laughs> and no one bats an eyelid, but no one wants to be the third or fourth wife. Right. And this is where I study the dynamics between women because what happens in those families when the first wife is told that there is a second one coming? They're not living in the same roof as each mm. other. This isn't, uh, you know, it's not, um, it's not Utah or something. But well, I don't know. Maybe some knowing... of those families had they all had their own houses too. But I'm not sure. I'm not yeah. sure. Um, but in East Africa, no, the women don't live in the same house. But it's the it's the stories you hear uh, on the street because women talk. You know, mm. they're always on the phone, always talking with each other. We always know what's going on with each other, and it's the stories. We hear, okay, what's going on with Sheha? Is the second wife? Ah, uh, that's what's mm. going on. This crashes the reality of that woman's home life. And it's completely um, just, you know, how should I put this? It's completely alien to the West because we still have an expectation that there's going to be one man, one woman. Right. And so the way that women behave, even when they're behaving badly, we understand because we expect that at least, you know, the, the accepted culture says that, yeah, it should be one man, one woman. But when you're a woman and you're living in a country where it's acceptable that you become one of four at some time in your life, That competitional dynamic, that Debbie versus Morticia thing, is savage. It is cutthroat. Like you've never seen mm. it before. It's like a Wall Street. It's like, you know, you see the guys on Wall Street trading stocks. Right. Like Wolf of Wall Street, only it's women and what they're saying to each other and doing to each other and how they're communicating. And that... Uh, intensity of competition that I have this man and I'm going to hold on to him knowing that if he chooses to get a second or a third, you have absolutely nothing that you can do about it really. Well, and also, I mean, this Except is, this is in Islam, right? Yeah. It's an Islamic And practice, also that he, course, if he doesn't where... want you anymore, he can just divorce you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All he has to do is say it three times and give you a piece of paper and you're, you're gone. gone. You could have given the man the best years of your life and all he has to say is, I divorce you, I divorce you, I divorce you, and you're gone. That's it. You're out of the family. Now, that is the reality that people don't talk about in the West when they're discussing what's going on in Islamic countries and everything. I mean, like, you you talk about women's oppression. They're going to defend themselves and say we're not oppressed because, and I will say in their defense, Islam does allow for some things that... uh, sort of tried to mitigate them not being 
left in absolute penury. Mm. But when you're in sub-Saharan Africa, that's the reality. So the girls have to come up with all sorts of devices and strategies and modes and plots and plans and everything else to make sure that they make it as difficult as possible for their husband to get a second mm. wife. And then when he does get a second wife or a third, whatever, you know, adjust to the fact that she's sharing her husband. So it makes things really tense psychologically. And so the women in those countries, women in the place I was mm. living in in particular, they've developed a telephone line of uh, psycho games that's an Olympic standard. No one will come <laughs> close. It's been, it's been, you know, it's been, it's been institutionalized to the point where the fabric that the girls wear, the kanga, it has uh, a panel on the front of it. It's 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 called the name of the kanga, and there's a saying written in Swahili, and it's a it's a kind of um, folk dialect, right? They'll have a proverb on it, or they'll, they'll have something. It's like the Twitter mm-hmm, update, the Twitter mm-hmm. post. You know, it's like girls updating their Facebook status. They'll get a new kanga with this thing written on it. Now these sayings are so obscure and ambiguous. Most of the men can't read them. It's a woman's mm-hmm. language. And it's a way for like street battles. You see girls coming out of the houses wearing something like his mind, you'll never take him from me, blah, 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 all sorts of things. So that's, um, that to me is a woman's world. That's, that's where I, um, I was introduced to the dynamics of being, uh, of being female, mm-hmm. of being a woman, what that really means in terms of um, relationships towards men, but also the relationships of women towards each other. And um, Debbie Debbie versus Morticia is a cross-cultural phenomenon. <laughs> it's, not, it's, not, it's not just a Western thing. Uh, but it occurs, it the, occurs to me, that, I mean, what Debbie Bouvard is, is, you know, she's in France in a cat, you know, nominally mm. catholic sort of not even nominally catholic it wasn't nominally catholic but you know she's thinking about and she acknowledges that i read that part where you know christianity gives women this sense of equality which is true it's like that that the, mm. the christianity and i've said this i got in trouble for my three cheers for white men post because i said that um you know that christianity recognizes chivalry and consensual marriage um mm. and that that you know, elevation. Yeah, that, that, that's, that, been, that's been your argument. Yeah, that elevation of women, in fact, to, you know, the equality of having a say in the marriage, I do, is, yeah. it's it, it's like Dave Bouvard is taking that for granted um, completely and, and not yeah. acknowledging, I, I do want to go back and reread it in, in the sense of looking for the absence, right? She's not acknowledging the actual... Um, women's hierarchy that you're describing, which is, mm. it's still, I mean, it's still, ma- you know, focused on the men and their relationship to the men, but it is, yes. it, it's funny that De Beauvoir makes out her independence wanting to be independent of a man and what in fact she's achieved and doesn't, doesn't acknowledge is, or that she didn't write independence of other women. Hmm. Well, that would make more sense. <laughs> if you've been engaged in uh, that kind of psychological warfare, mm. 
Because it is. It's a kind of psychological warfare. Um, and exhausted by it. Yeah, you want to tap out. Of course. There was there of was course. a picture I didn't understand. She has you have Morticia and a, another woman looking at U.S. News and Time. What does he stand for? Oh yes, the silver fox. That was uh, that was her at the at the school for the like the parent teacher meetings with mm. the children, and then they have a recital. So I just thought it was funny because it was the. Uh, the the Adams version of you know dealing with education mm. of of the children dealing with the school the school issue, and uh, in the nineteen sixties series, they're homeschooling until uh, someone knocks on the door. Someone from the government knocks on the door and says, "Your children should be in school." It's actually the first episode of the program. It is episode yeah, it's one. Episode one. Ah, okay, I forgot. Um, so they're umming and ahhing this, okay, maybe they'll send them to school, but you know, so they're homeschoolers, mm. right? They're completely, you know, trad homeschoolers. Uh, in the film, they've sent the, they sent the children to school. You see the behavior of the kids compared to the other ones, but I just thought it was, uh, it was, it was kind of interesting that the, you know, the matriarch of the Adams family, she's in there she's in the hallway and she's looking at the world that's being presented to her children as the ideal on the right. wall. There's like the kids' projects and what they've done and it's people that they admire, people that they want to follow after. So the people that she's looking at on the wall, was, I think it was cleverly done, was it George Bush and... It's Barbara Bush, I think. Barbara yeah. Bush. It's George and Barbara. And she's trying to stifle her horror <laughs> these, are the, these are the role models that the kids want to aspire to and of course she goes to wednesday's project and wednesday's got a dark goth scary horror picture of one of their ancestors that got burned at the yes. stake <laughs> but again it's a kind of mockery of um what i thought the adams were really representing which was the catholic mm -hmm. world wednesday's depicted her heritage She's depicted her ancestors. So it's like, what would it look like for a, a child now in the modern education system to do a picture of a saint as I want to be this person for their school project? Right. Horrifying. It's the same thing. So we have an issue for uh, our for for women to, to really think about who do we want to emulate? Who do we want our children to want to be like? The conservative culture in the Adams family is, okay, you want to be Barbara Bush. <laughs> well, many don't. Many never mm. did. I never did. I never wanted to. I wanted to be Wednesday Adams and have... Uh, well, you yeah, have the, 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 have next, the, the meme of, of Morticia saying, I'm just like any modern woman trying to have it all, a loving husband, a family. <laughs> it's just... <laughs> I wish I had more time to seek out the dark forces and join their hellish crusade. That's all. <laughs> exactly. 
<laughs> but I thought I thought your point about the, yeah, there it is. Uh, the you know it's like wanting to be the, the they're they're surrounded by the cemetery which is their own family mm-hmm. right they're they're actually yep. always surrounded by everybody who was the you know their family and their ghosts and things yep. like that but they're they're yep. they've not been cut off from their own family at any point right not in death or <laughs> which is you say yep. yes it's catholic in the sense of we you know we pray for pray for our dead and remember them and don't think of them as as gone mm-hmm. and neither do the atoms yeah we have <laughs> they're around all the ghosts no. are there <laughs> well we have the relics of the saints in our churches right. you know so fast we go in there and we greet them say hi how you doing like thank you please pray, pray for us right you know the atoms are doing the same thing they take a stroll together and they grab a shovel and they go dig up old aunt what's her face yeah. <laughs> just to say hi and then put it back down again i mean it's it to me it seemed like it was a very very similar um family dynamic that i, I thought okay She's a Catholic matriarch. She's actually the most perfect uh, depiction of a Catholic matriarch in a Catholic family, sitting there in the graveyard, surrounded by her ancestors, generations of Adams. She's a part of a family, you know, the family. It's very Italian, Mm. uh, very Italian, very very Greek uh, concept, but... um, she knows who she is she knows she's got all of her people around her living and dead perfectly happy so yeah that was uh so the family portrait is is all of them there with the the bear rug which growls yeah right but i the, the so i think I and mean, we've had this theme a number of times in our discussions about the the tension between the anglo and the spanish <laughs> and that he's yes. gomez and you know everything yeah. that he did. One, he's horrifically, you know, he's tremendously wealthy and always working with his his investments and things like that. But that he and he fences, of course, at least in the television series. I guess no, they do in the movie too. And he is romantic in a particular way. And that mm-hmm. it it it's interesting. I think with the um, the cartoon, it's not clear to me that they were. I mean, it's it's drawn in Boston, right? And I was like saying, is this the Ad- it can't be the Adams family of Henry Adams because they were Unitarians. So I think mm-hmm. you're right to pick up on the sort of haunting of, you know, that and De Beauvoir is you know in a Catholic context and is educated in the French system, so she knows something about the the Middle Ages. Um, but this haunting of modernity by the Catholic is very powerful in both. In both mm. the second sex and you know the the Adams with the joke being as we we're we're saying that they they they're, they seem scary but they're not actually scary they're actually the most wholesome family in the neighborhood. Yep. Well, the, uh, a mother and father Adams are genuinely in love. Mm. They have the elderly they have the elderly mother at home. She's not in a retirement village. They've kept her at right. home so she can help educate the children. Uh, the bachelor brother lives there, so Gomez isn't isolated socially. He has, you know, he has members of his own kind around him, you know, from his family, but also they do business together. They're running a family mm-hmm. business. Uh, you know, all the investments and everything he does with Uncle Fester. The kids are homeschooled. 
they're around the family constantly. <laughs> they have, you know, it's like <laughs> they're free to play with electrical circuits. It's just <laughs> they're actually the most wholesome people that uh, that exist in their universe uh, in the Adams world, um, and they're they're so uh, you know they're very mystical uh as well which of course you know is sort of presented in in an occult uh frame mm. but really catholics to non-catholics look occult and that's always the protestant accusation against catholics too it's like oh you're praying to the dead you're idolizing pictures of those people um you know, you've got uh, men in weird dresses and weird hats. You know, you've got your popes and your bishops. And what? why do you need priests? We just pray directly to Jesus. Right. So it all looks very occult and superstitious. It looks to the Protestant world exactly what the Adams family look like to uh, the pastel world. <laughs> and then, you know, pastel Debbie comes in, which is unfortunate. I mean, I don't want to, I don't want to give away the, the film, but. Well, she's played by Joan Cusack, which is just like, you know, super, right? Because oh, she's so good at so it. She's fantastic. so fantastic in that role. She was, <laughs> she was born to be that character. Uh, but, yeah, I think I think it's like this this haunting of um, this haunting of the old world, this haunting of the mm. Catholic world. You know, and I include the Orthodox in there. Um, I mean, Orthodox Catholic, you know, apostolic world, but like Mediterranean, Mediterranean culture runs like this. Baltic cultures run like this. And um, they're happy, but the women are thriving in the institution of the patriarchy. They're not trying to pull it down. So it's, it's like, Catholic women thriving because of the patriarchy of the church. You know, we don't have, uh, the Orthodox don't have any ambition whatsoever to change our patriarchal structure because the patriarchy to us isn't something that you pull down as a feminist. The patriarchy is something you submit to in a liturgy and in the church structure because you know that it serves you. Like the patriarchs are serving the women as, as the women are serving them. So it goes both ways. Um, I'm losing my train of thought. I forget what I what else I put in this like. Well, so you you've 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 made you've made your, your case on the atoms, right? And I think then we end mm -hmm. up in the sense of under. It's like what what do women really want? It's men to be a particular way. <laughs> and yeah. um, yep. I mean, it, 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 it's always struck me reading De Beauvoir and she's complaining about all of these things that are good in, in the sense of, you know, women, men see women in these, I mean, somewhat idealized ways in the different myth mythological um, roles mm -hmm. that she, she analyzes, but that from her perspective, even the elevation of, of women in, you know, res the respect for mothers or, the, the love of beauty or the desire for the um the you know the virginal women to become mothers in a family for her all of this is is oppressive and and restricting and that's you know that's been in modernity the the the, the claim that 
you know, you know the women are taught at university by scholars like mm. de Beauvoir that becoming mm. any of these things means that you are less than human. But then, then yeah. you know, de Beauvoir does not flip it back around and think, you know, why would, why, what do, what do men want, which we've seen in the poetry, but the mm -hmm. assumption being that women don't want to be those things, that this, this, this is demeaning to their humanity to be just a womb, right? And it's like, well, <laughs> you may get your wish and we may have no women because the wombs are, you know, mechanical and everybody's born like a, I don't know, a chicken. <laughs> <laughs> that's like from little mechanical <laughs> yeah, eggs just... or something right it's 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 um this terrible uh i mean gnostic desire to be free of incarnation mm. Mm. and ironically i mean it's not really on our plan to talk about it, but ironically in a time when the, the you know the medical situation is actually quite strong for women that they don't die in childbirth typically um and mm. so many of the arguments that were made in the early 20th century about you know restricting pregnancy because it's dangerous for women to have so many um don't apply in the same ways although given the way our medical system is going i'm not sure that's true anymore <laughs> <laughs> I didn't mm. I didn't prep for that, so let's stay off of that particular. <laughs> <laughs> let's pretend everything is going well, no, as well as it was. It's the, <laughs> I, you know, I'm, I'm back to the, the puzzlement of why would you want a why would it's so I De Beauvoir is not positing this, which is ironic. She's not positing a world without men. She's positing in fact a world without women. In mm. which women can fulfill themselves as individuals by achieving the same things men do and therefore she isn't what is a woman is for her something to be erased there's nothing in her expectation that is not in fact I mean, she says simply human right she wants she wants there to be no genders although she still wants to have sex as we know mm. so erasing the women also erases the men whom we have oh here mr tate as our counter mm. example. <laughs> yes. Um, so many thoughts on that gentleman. Um, he's going to wreck women and not for the reason that the mainstream media is saying that he's going to wreck them. See, I'm too much of a contrarian as my problem. <laughs> I always say, write about toxic masculinity, but not for the reason that they're saying that there's toxic masculinity. Um, he is not a Gomez Adams. How he's made his money, straight off the bat, has been the manipulation and exploitation of the, of the women mm -hmm. around him. So what that does is that sets in that African hyperdrive competitional instinct. Now, it's interesting that he's ended up in the religion that he's converted to because he's converted to Islam now. He's, con he's converted to Islam, yeah. Now, what he's done is he's created a business empire on jacking up a woman's cortisol and jacking up her desire to be 
safe, protected, secure, and to understand her place in a family system. He manipulated that and then he sold it. He pimped it out. For me, I don't have any idea how anybody who wants to return to a traditional Christian society can see that kind of person and think that he is going to be a good mm. role model and smash the matrix. He hates women. And the only thing he does is talk about the queen protecting the king. He always says it. In chess, the queen can move more mm. than the king. In, in chess, the queen protects the king. Yeah, but not in the way you think. Because Gomez understands this by having a queen at home with him who's taking care of the family for the for the king, for all the other family members. Morticia does her job properly. She's watching for De Debbie's. She's watching for people that are going to destroy the family system. Tate has promoted himself and his hustlers university. And then I think in like a really good poetic twist reveals where that kind of exploitative masculinity ends up mm. and that's in Arabia. Now I want to like, <sighs> I'm not going to hate on all the Muslims because I know great Arabs. I've, I've, I've known some really wonderful Arabs, but that pain that the, the Arabian women have to deal with when they're told that there's a second wife is deep. And the, the dynamics of, of, of that, that kind of family structure is not Adam's. Things become very transactional. And so I, I picked that, I picked that picture because we'll go back to him i'd moved on to the brothers but oh the, the, yeah the comparative yeah, yeah. brothers too you've got the takes yeah, versus the adams brothers. yep the takes versus the adams so for me this was like a okay women what do you want kind of moment because they've been presented, they've presented themselves as the alphas. Mm -hmm. They've presented themselves as the guys that all the girls want. We've got the Bugattis, we've got the, I don't know, warehouse palace in Romania or whatever. <laughs> um, and because uh, women go into competition with each other and these guys have been presented as the alternative to the... Uh, effete or emasculated Western men that won't do anything or say anything or, you know, they're not, um, they're not building patriarchy. So it's like, aha, here's the alternative, you know, here's your ideal. They're not at all. Um, they've got, they've got exactly the same attitude towards women that the, uh, the Debbies of the world have towards uh, the men that they pluck out of their hierarchies. Right. It's um, what's there's a word I'm trying to think. It's coming to me. It's like uh, 
It's opportunistic. And it destroys femininity. Because what it does is puts women into... It, it puts those women, like Tate, the Tate brothers, what they've done is they've put those women into into a role, into a position mm. where they're, they're not able to flourish in their femininity. They're whoring it out in order to survive in a hostile environment. And... Um, well, ironically, the, the Tates have made them the second sex. In, in, yep. in this, I mean, that's what's so painful for me reading De Beauvoir, yep. that she's talking about men's respect for women making us secondary, when in fact, she's in a culture that did develop a respect for women, unparalleled in human mm -hmm. history. And mm -hmm. all she can see is uh, not being a man. I, I mean, it's not even, she doesn't even want to be a man. I don't know what she wanted to be. Because what mm -hmm. it's like continually saying she wanted to be a human being, it's like she's erasing all mm -hmm. of the dynamic of relationships. Mm -hmm. And I think what you're talking about saying that women are relationships, that's clearly what she didn't have. She didn't have actual, yep. not even friendships. I think women's friendship is is tricky and not the same as men's friendship and and that, that that's probably not, that's probably a deeper waters than we're even ready for today um yeah <laughs> but, but what you were saying about women women fundamentally being the ones that keep track of everything right we keep track of all of the relationships we watch everybody we are always paying attention to who's talking to whom and because that is the thing that we need to know we need to know what all mm -hmm. of the relationships are and it doesn't seem to me that de Beauvoir knew any of that she didn't participate in that kind of attention um, and it's not even clear to mm -hmm. me she she participated in that kind of feminine rivalry, weirdly enough. She's so hyper-focused on wishing that she had this different relationship with men that she doesn't even see other women. Mm. Um, and the Tates, I mean, it's like the, 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 the Tates are a good contrast with the Adams. It's like you could, I think this, the pictures you have here, the Tates are known as being the masculine men. And here we have Gomez and fester hmm. blowing things no they're drinking together right <laughs> they're drinking together and it's they're the brothers right it's like you, the most masculine men yeah. you have they're being brothers together and um hmm. that as a joyous thing for morticia rather than as something that she would fear or want to destroy well, they're sitting there watching home movies of, the, of, of like, the okay. family. They're sitting there. As they're drinking in that room together, they're watching reels of themselves, like, mm. trying to kill each mm. other. You know? <laughs> like, but it's it's really cute, you know? It was like, uh... I mean, that's how the Adams bond, right? It's like a comedy horror. <laughs> but, you know, like, re remember when we did this yeah. and, and that kind of thing. They're sitting there together and they're in the family home and they're watching all the old family movies together. They're not, um, they don't have a matrix to smash. They're, they're home and, uh, they're, the, the, the idea of, of like turning the women in their lives into, digital prostitutes is mm. it, i mean it just that does not enter in 
they love the women that are around them. So, you know, the doubloons in the basement of the Adams mansion, I mean, they don't come from sex trafficking. Right. I mean, mind you, we're not sure what they come from. <laughs> well, who knows? <laughs> it's probably drugs. But still, <laughs> I mean, I like in terms of just them and their approach to the women that are around them versus the Tates, it's black and white. Uh, you can't thrive as a, you can't truly thrive as a woman when you're around men like Andrew and Tristan right. Tate. You never will. They will give you stuff. You get a lot of stuff. And that's it. Because ultimately, everything is transactional. When you're dealing with someone who can sell someone else after making them, uh, after deceiving a woman into thinking that you're in love with her and then selling mm -hmm. her. Women are not able to flourish around a man like that unless he finds Christ. That's it. Uh, and then, you know, there's a rebirth experience that needs to happen. But once someone has admitted openly that his job was to make women believe that they were in love with him and then whore them out, that is not the ideal. That is like the very dynamic that has created the feminists in the first place. That is why women. Well, hate yes, themselves. it's like because that's what Sartre did to De Beauvoir. Yeah, <laughs> exactly, exactly, exactly. So she then tries to theorize herself out of this pain, and I'm sorry I couldn't find that passage that I was thinking of because there's this clear, you know, it's like when you get down into it, her eroticism is she wants to submit to the man, and she in the sexual moment, and that's how she describes it obsessively. And, you know, and that it's a mystical sort of experience and, you know, that she never got to experience what Morticia has with Gomez, which is mm -hmm. his reverence for her. And therefore, you know, whatever, I mean, it's, 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 it's so interesting with Morticia and Gomez and it was, you're talking about this and I went and watched the whole series again. I'm like, yeah, that's, it's, he's, he's utterly devoted to her and every, you know, she says something, he can't stop mm -hmm. kissing her. Um, but on the other yeah. hand, he's he's taking care of the business now. In, interestingly, because it was the '60s and these things are all being undone, there are episodes in the second series when Morticia, once she starts writing books, and Gomez is really worried that she'll become famous and and go off on tours and he'll be alone, and so he he tries sabotaging <laughs> the books by writing bad ones and those sell really well. <laughs> so, <laughs> then he's in he's in more trouble, and then and then there's another another um, episode where she's making horrible sculptures, but and he keeps buying them so she thinks she's making like good ones, and so she starts making more. So there there I mean there is a kind of interesting problem that she is trying to find her expressiveness in, in other ways and later but the, then the series died right it's like you could yeah. tell by the end of that by the end of that season they'd lost their focus because they were trying to tease out playing morticia into a modern woman who has a career and it didn't work mm. no no um or trying or, or misrepresenting artistic expression as wanting a career right. i think right because of course that's what modernity expects 
the moment you say you're interested in something or you're good at something or something makes you happy, it's, oh, you could do that as a career. Right. I've heard it a million times. Oh, you're really good at that. You could do that as a job. No, I don't want to. <laughs> I'm just, happy, uh, you know, you, 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 modernity treats women's interests, uh, I think, as not important unless they're monetized. Whereas Morticia, to me, she she had her interests that were her hobbies that made her happy. She was always doing things, gardening, mm -hmm. cutting the heads off roses, etc. And then, um, you know, brewing things with her mom, and you know, she was. They were always doing something. Uh, it wasn't ever to emancipate themselves from the family. Well, we have we had the it's not an attempted emancipation. The the example of the men doing crazy things with Gomez and his train blowing up, and then this young man who got it, <laughs> who who was who did something funny that you were you were entertained by this <laughs> getting himself buried. Right. It's like oh, so. Yeah. I think I think this is this is the obverse. The men doing these nonsensical hobbies that don't make money either. They're they're yeah. edge edge tests. Right. Yes. Yeah. Uh, Gomez with his trains, I was like, he's gaming. Mm. This is like, a, you know, this is like a, he's a gamer. He's taking time off the game. But that guy in the that guy in the ground. So I think it's Tim Hardy. His mm. name was. I found this a few days ago. Um, he's an Irish guy. He was an Irish guy. And he wanted to do this experiment to prove the fairies weren't real. <laughs> now, of course, everyone in modernity thinks, of course, fairies aren't real. You're insane. But in Ireland in the 1960s, people were very, very uh, savvy to the idea of uh, fairydom existing. So they're terrified, mm. you know, uh, they're terrified of anyone um disturbing the habitation of the fairy folk so this guy called tim he's had enough he's like right i'm gonna prove that this is absolute nonsense and he organizes a, <clears throat> a stunt on christmas day where everyone's gonna bury him down in the earth as though he's a dead man in the in the area where the fairies are supposed to hang out and then cover him up and leave him there for over 100 hours I think it was it was exactly a hundred mm. hours he did of the he wanted to he, he wanted to do, so I took some books in there and probably you know a little bit of water or whatever, and they buried Tim alive, <laughs> and left him there with a a tube coming out of the ground and then a, a phone that people could call him on and talk to him. So if we go back to the phone communication, mm. he still needs it. So they're, they're talking to him while he's under there and saying, how are you doing? You're feeling claustrophobic. He's like, nah, I'm fine. I could stay here for another 100 hours. <laughs> Huge crowds have gathered around this guy because, I mean, first off, it was kind of an amusing thing in the beginning and then they're all they're all realising, wow, he's really, uh, he's really set his mind to this. And then it, it sort of becomes a bit of a respect thing because, you, you know, they're, they're all thinking, well, he's... He's got balls. He's letting them bury him alive. So the crowds are gathering. It's getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And then they finally dig him up. 
before they dig him up, the journalist's standing there with his mum, and they're he's asking the mum, you know, how did you feel about this? She goes, oh, I've died a thousand yes. deaths since he proposed this. And, you know, saying how horrible of an ordeal it was. And then pivots immediately to, oh, I'm tremendously proud of him. <laughs> you know, she's glowing. She's so happy because Tim's decided to bury himself alive for the lols, for absolutely no reason whatsoever except for just to be able to tell everyone I buried myself alive. So they dig him up. <laughs> <laughs> and as they open the coffin that he's in, he's got these really dark black sunglasses on. <laughs> Just gives the thumbs up as they open the lid. It's hilarious. So why I included that, what was like? what did I contrast that picture against again? I've got Gomez blowing trains up. Yeah. Men doing weird things. <laughs> Just for the lols, just the game, just to be able to let themselves stretch themselves. And this is not something women do. We do not... <laughs> we do not allow people to bury us in a coffin under the ground to prove fairies don't exist. Women don't have any interest whatsoever in making themselves that un uncomfortable. Mm. For a lot of reasons, but we do not need those kinds of bragging rights. This is like a very specifically masculine thing. It's not for money. It's so that they have some point of honor that they can tell everybody, I did that. That was what I did. Tim's mother, I think, was a perfect example of good mothering. Mm. Because even though she died a thousand deaths since he proposed what he was going to do, she let him mm. do it. She didn't try and stop him. So uh, in terms of what women want, like going to the theme, I think it's that. I think the crowds around Tim proved that that was kind of, that's it. Like women, that got women's attention. Yep. Well, this is so, I, you know, the, I, I back around to it that, say, Simone de Beauvoir is really interested in men. I mean, massively yep. so. And she's she's talking about how irritated she is that you know all men's images of women, all all images of women are through men's eyes. It's like, well, yeah. So you're looking at what men think, and mm. not as we've established what women think. She's not she's not going and talking to her fellow women and trying to figure out what they think about her. Um, mm. That women are very. It's like it, it's so funny because men are very interested in women. Women are very interested in men. I find, I personally find men fascinating and completely unreadable in a sense. It's like, I, I remember this particularly when I was younger. It's like, you're always like, what do you think? And you're like, your boyfriend, what are you thinking? And he's like, shut up. <laughs> Why do you care? Right. It's like, I'm thinking stuff. Right. It's like, we, you know, me, we, um, what it is we're checking. I think, I think we need to do, you and I need to do some more episodes on this theme because we've gone now two hour, two hours and sixteen minutes. <laughs> oh yeah. Um, there's more to break down in, I think, honesty about the relationship between the sexes, which simply has not been talked about for decades. And it's it's interesting mm -hmm. to me that academia, obviously where I live, has created such a taboo on talking for women talking about what women actually want. 
that we we have no clue. I mean, we do have a clue, but we we don't have a um I, we don't have we don't have I I'd say it's maybe this way. We don't have the older women's honesty about their own desires mm -hmm. to learn yeah. from. Yep. And I can I so I spent this last weekend at a Sursum Corda, raise up your lift up your hearts retreat that the Institute for Christ the King holds um for young adults. Um and now I forgot what I was gonna say. Uh a lot of young people there in their twenties. <laughs> um now I, d I completely forgot what I was gonna say. Older older women talking to younger women. Yeah about what they want it does seem there is some of that conversation among catholics but i don't know right because mm -hmm. i'm i'm I, I still feel like i'm a i'm an outsider in so many ways because i didn't grow up catholic so i don't know what they're going through um they did seem as as a as a group to be very happy <laughs> they were i yeah. i promise you this was the best fan fan and i was like i said I, I didn't know i had a fandom they were so, they were so enthusiastic at my talks and at the canons conferences talks and just you know this if, if this is what young catholics who do trad mass are like bring it <laughs> they mm -hmm. were very very ho hopeful and optimistic and obviously i mean they, they did a little talent show and the men were singing about their hopefully future wives and the and the women seemed you know genuinely that there was one um skit that I remember just a man and a woman doing it and she just seemed fascinated by his ability to sing this nonsense song right it's like I can I can see every so often you get a glimpse of what a beautiful actual relationship would look like and you say that's mm -hmm. what we're aiming for that's beautiful that that is what hurts when we don't get it we should talk about that the actual romantic vision that mm -hmm. that we do carry with us and that de Beauvoir wrote an 800 page book denying which is fascinating in mm. itself yeah it is no everyone wants everybody wants Mortician Gomez at least in my mind <laughs> I mean he's uh, who who wouldn't want someone? I'll go back to Mortician like Gomez, and we will do Christ. Yeah. We will do Christ and Mary some other time. Mortician mm. Gomez, who wouldn't want this? Yes, exactly. He's he's yeah. ma marvelously manly. He's you know he's Hispanic. Maybe we should go there with with uh, Don Juan de Bosco, and <laughs> um, but gentle and attentive to her and. I mean, is so worried about losing her that he writes bad novels that then become bestsellers for which is that one was a funny twist, but you know, the the pain and the fear that he had that she would go off and have this career, I think was also mm. well um scripted. That that maybe men aren't expressing enough of what that feels like to be left. Mm. Yeah, everyone needs to start getting very honest. Yeah. For the sake of the younger generation, definitely. But uh I uh 
I don't see creative pursuits need to conquer the career of the family. And this is a challenge for women that are gifted, talented women. Um, we have this problem. I put myself in that category just because I have to. Um, when you are wanting to enjoy something, the world is going to tell you constantly that this is going to be a career, this is going to be a career, and then right. pumping you full of that instead of just enjoying your talent. And I've seen this happen with women that have uh, that have been in my life, incredibly talented women. Uh, I've seen them by the propaganda that other women are giving them and men also mm. that their talents and their gifts have to be translated into a career instead of just something that they can express within the career of the family. So I'm... Um, I think this this fit this certainly fits our major project in Dragon Common Room of cultivating the arts. And what does that mean? Mm. And that that is I mean, ironically that's you'd think that was what De Beauvoir was trying to cultivate. It's like we can only be truly creative under certain circumstances while denying the actual creativity of the family. Mm. Which she did. Well, her family didn't seem very creative. <laughs> So, um, unfortunate. Okay, so we've dismantled yeah. it. Now we have, okay. we will now. There's going to be a season two. I redid the website, so we have promises season two. Clearly, having spent, spent a whole nearly 52 weeks, this is number 50, diagnosing mm -hmm. the structures that are at, um, traumatizing everyone mm. we're gonna have to start building aren't we yeah yeah we have to that sounds like a good plan <laughs> <laughs> yeah. what women want well learn to knit so that you can make baby clothes with eight limbs no way <laughs> <laughs> and figure out mm -hmm. why it's so terrifically painful to figure out who you should marry, which is, I think, at the root of a lot of all yeah, of this. It is. It is. Which is what yeah. Cher was trying to do in her matchmaking. Um, you do, I, you didn't mention this, but you do know that um, Cher is, is um, Jane Austen's Emma. Yes. yes. So yes. we have we have Jane Austen matchmaker, who never. It's an old problem. Who never got married <laughs> herself. So you know this yeah. this we want to find our mate and we want to have a beautiful family and we want to have those lovely children. And why is it so hard? We're going to become agony ants if we're not careful. <laughs> <laughs> it's good. <laughs> well, I hope it's good. Okay. So let's see. We have, uh, we've had some conversation going on in the chat. Um, and I'm not sure, Wild Herb Ways, I don't know what you're talking about, but I will read this scene as you've been cheerfully commenting. Um, so fascinating. Your comment RFB related to differences in female friendship where the female quantifies watches relationships in a sense of objectifying relationships. 
No, we don't think of them as objectifying their relation, their relationships. So we're intimately subject with it, within them and we're constantly trying to figure out our place within them. So it's not objective in the making objects. So in understanding estrogenic phylos versus estrogenic agape or estrogenic eros, you have what Dugan describes as the function of intranets, the quote panopticon, a territory in which criminals could be watched and supervised at all times, surrounding them from all points of view by both glass and impervious walls, end quote, during the COVID psyop pseudoplague. The nature of the modernist intranet is female as in surveillance, monotonous advertising. Yes, that's the diabolical version of it. That's not what we were talking about. <laughs> mm-hmm. But it is it is the, as masculine tyranny is Tate-like, feminine tyranny is Debbie-like. Yeah. And we probably do want to explore that some more. But I think, I think, um, I think Wild Herb Ways is showing how just as like Sima de Beauvoir has for nearly a century defined the way women talk about the what is woman question. And we can see from two pages and Kiltz's insight that it's a problem. <laughs> and we have, I mean, I don't even know what literature, I mean, there is some literature in the, the Catholic world and um, I can think of a few people that are writing about this, but it is interesting that we have gotten to a place where the best we can do is say feminism is cancer. I, I think yeah. I think we have some work to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we do. Well, that's actually a happy thought. We have lots of stuff to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> on, our do, internet, like, on our internet like, telephone. Like typical that... women who like talking. We've got a lot to talk about. we, we got a lot to talk about. <laughs> well, okay. So we will we will continue with that and hope that we don't end up in surveillance. There we go. <laughs> okay. Thank you all for joining us. We Sorry we had a, a missed week. Um, we will not have a missed week for a while now. We got, we got, we got episodes to come. And we will do a switchover season in August so that you you know that you've actually completed an entire circuit of the sun with us in the Mosaic Arc. So uh, let's see. I, I, DragonCommonRoom.com. Subscribe. Get on our email list. Newsletters out on Fridays. Secret stuff that you won't get unless you're on the newsletter. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Good night. <laughs>